Well, last week we looked at the first of a three-week series on identity, and we looked at the question of who are we fundamentally, and we saw that the culture says look inward to the self, but God's word commands us actually to do the opposite of that, to look outward, look to Christ to find identity, to find meaning, to find value and significance and joy and purpose, and we saw that we are counted righteous in Christ. We lack righteousness, God requires righteousness, but in the gospel, Jesus gives us his righteousness, credited with the perfection of Jesus, as we just sing about justified, declared in the right. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die. Our identity's in him. That's who we are. We have the standing of righteous through faith in Christ. That's the foundation, but we don't stop at foundations, right? Foundations are meant to be built upon. So we know that our standing is secure because of Christ, but now we get to work. Not to gain God's love, we already have that in the gospel, but we get to work because we have the love of God. So we know who we are, now who are we to become? We don't stop there and none of us have arrived, have we? Well, maybe y'all have, I have not. This sermon is as much for me, I guess it's only for me, I'm going to have a great time up here. I'm me and the Apostle Paul. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained this or am already mature, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers and sisters. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Haven't arrived, and I feel it. I feel it. Do you feel it? I mean, how's it going? Just ask you a few diagnostic questions. How often do you lack joy? How often do you have a short fuse? Do you say things that you regret? Do you think thoughts that you would be embarrassed for others to know about? Do you carry this constant low-grade anxiety with you? Do you impulse shop to try to find joy? Are you still tied to the things of this world too much? Is envy an ongoing struggle? Do you look to food or sweets for comfort? Do you seek to prove yourself? Do you self-medicate with alcohol or pills, or media? Are you self-righteous? Do you think you're better than most? Are you filled with cynicism? These are painful questions, aren't they? And listen, I know you're not supposed to be honest in church in Abilene, but if we are, we've got to admit that we all battle these issues. We all have progress to be made. Theologians call it remaining sin or indwelling sin that we have to fight. We have to put to death. We have to, the word is mortify. To be killing sin or sin will be killing us. And here's the reality. All of us are becoming at all times. We are becoming. We are being formed every minute of every day, becoming someone intentional or unintentional, on purpose or on accident. We're all in process at all times. Discipleship is happening. Formation never stops. There's no sitting in neutral in this world. Listen to my man J.C. Ryle. Believe me. You cannot stand still in the affairs of your souls. Habits of good or evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. 
Every day you're either getting nearer to God or further off. There's no neutral. There's no standing still. We're either being formed or deformed. So let's look at the book of Ephesians. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page 919, Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there, Ephesians is all about God's plan to put all things under Christ. God's exalted Christ and is now putting all things under his rule. God's right order is being fully restored under the rule of the king, which includes a unified church of Jews and Gentiles as the one new man. And then in our own lives, we submit to the rule of Christ. So let's consider how to do that then. Three calls from Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Put off, renew your mind, and put on. So first, put off the old self. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So here we're told to put off the old self. It belongs to the old way of life. What is the old way of life? Well, he mentioned it. Flip over page, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The old manner of life was quite bleak, bleaker than we probably think. Chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, we were worldly. Following the prince of the power of the air. Believe it or not, outside of Christ, we followed the devil. That's what the text says right here. Followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the old self with the former way of life. He mentioned it in chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, which is really interesting, by the way, because this is written to Ephesus. This is written to a bunch of Gentiles, but now you, church, are no longer Gentiles. We're the true Jew, Romans 2. We're the, the true Israel of God, Galatians 6. We're the true circumcision, Philippians chapter 3. Don't walk like Gentiles anymore, Christian Gentiles. Don't do that. The futility of their mind, verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That was us. We put off the old self with its way of life. We're no longer following the course of the world. We're no longer following the devil. We're no longer following the passions of our flesh. We're no longer carrying out the desires of the body. Our minds are no longer futile, but now they're being renewed. Our understanding is no longer darkened, but enlightened, no longer ignorant. No longer having hard hearts, but now hearts of stone are placed by hearts of flesh. Not callous, not given to sensuality or impurity. We put all that stuff off. That's no longer us. That was us. It is no longer. We made a definitive and noticeable break with our old way of life. Conversion to Christ brings radical change, if it's true conversion. Radical from the word radix, meaning root, at the root. It's our old way of life, that old unbelieving way that he says. Notice how he describes our old way. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. The desires of the body and the mind, the desire level. Here we get inward, don't we? We get at the heart level. We get at the motive level. 
The old self is characterized by wrong desires, wrong passions, wrong lust, wrong wants. And you see, we really got to get at this level if we're going to make any progress. We got to understand that all of our outward actions are actually driven by inward desires. We do what we do because we want what we want. For example, no, this would never happen in your houses. Sometimes it might happen in my house. Don't judge me, okay? Maybe you yell at a kid. You raise your voice at a kid. That's the outward sin. We raised our voice. We were harsh with the child. But what was the inward desire? Well, it depends on the person and the circumstances, doesn't it? The desire could have been that she interrupted your plan. Your desire was to be sovereign, and they interrupted, and so you acted in a harsh manner and raised your voice. Maybe you wanted comfort. You desired comfort, and the child's misbehavior inconvenienced you in the outward Sin was that of harshness, but the inward desire was not sovereignty, but comfort. Maybe it was pride, because other people saw your child act up. And so you spoke harshly to your child outwardly, but inwardly the desire was a perfect reputation. That was compromised because of your child. Maybe the desire is you have too high of a standard, and it's perfection, and they've fallen short. Maybe the desire was sleep, and they interrupted that. Outward sin of being harsh, inward desire of your sleep. See, the old self, we've got to understand this. The old self is driven by desires, and we must put them off. Listen to the way James puts it in chapter 1, verse 14. Notice the progression of sin here. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There it is. Notice, all of our outward sins start inwardly with desires. And then how will we act upon those? Will it be give birth to sin that ultimately leads to death and destruction? Or will we put off the old self and put on the new? James 4 says much the same thing. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? There's that outwardness. What causes this outward conflict? Is it not this? That your passions, your pleasures, your desires, your wants are at war within you. There it is. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet And cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, you do what you do because you want what you want. And if we're going to make progress in the Christian faith, we've got to get at the want level, the desire level, the motive level, the heart level. All humans are driven by desire, by the heart. Again, Proverbs 4 says that the heart determines the course of life. The heart in the Bible is the causal core of our personhood. And notice it said these are deceitful desires. These desires are corrupt. They are deceitful. They will deceive you. They can't be trusted. What's the number one sin today? Don't follow your hearts. The ultimate sin is not to follow your heart today. The world, the flesh, and the devil say, trust your heart. Go with your desires. You do you. God says it's deceitful. God says it can't be trusted. The prophet Jeremiah says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and this really wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? 
biblical view of the self, the desires, the heart is opposed to the world's view. Trust it, don't trust it. Trustworthy, deceitful. Good and pure, wicked, evil. Who knows how bad, Jeremiah says. And so we need to be leery of our own heart, actually. Suspicious of our own desire. And we need to look to God through God's word. Don't follow your heart, follow God through his word. So we put off the old self with its corrupt desires. Augustine said that our basic problem as humans is disordered desires. We want the wrong things too much. Another way of saying that our basic problem is idolatry, isn't it? We want the wrong thing too much. It becomes an idol, whatever we want the most. In fact, if you're in Ephesians, look, flip a page to Ephesians 5.5. 5. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, parentheses, that is an idolater, close parentheses. Notice how the spirit through the Apostle Paul just equates covetousness with idolatry. What is covetousness? It's wanting something too much. It's idolatry. Because whatever you desire, whatever you want, more than God becomes the idol. Desires or covetousness, which is idolatry, reflects the motive behind every and all sin. And listen, here's the challenge. All sorts of people and places and things can become idols. They can become Inordinate desires and part of our job to make progress is see which idols try to prop up in our own heart. Is it approval? Is it control? Is it reputation? Is it success? Is it security? Is it pleasure? Is it respect? Is it beauty, body image, power, career, money, achievement, stuff, family, food, love, comfort, on and on and on. John Calvin said man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. And God says put it off. Put off the old self with its desires. Romans 8 says... Put them to death. Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so we've got to get active here, putting off, crucifying, ruling over, starve the beasts. And to do that, we first have to identify what it is. What's the problem, right? How do we know if our desires are out of order? Well, we've got to identify them, right, by asking some heart-penetrating questions. Get these from David Pallison and Tim Keller. Some of these questions. Just ask yourself with me. Where do your thoughts go effortlessly? What are you constantly daydreaming about? What are you thinking about when you lay your head down on the pillow? Puritan William Temple said, Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your true religion. Or how about this one? What do you spend money on without even thinking about it? Your money will effortlessly flow toward that which you love most. A checkbook can be a great revealer of inordinate desires. Or what about when your emotions get out of control? Look at your most uncontrollable emotions, whether it be anger or fear, despair, guilt, depression, worry, anxiety. What causes those, right? Those are surface. Those are secondary. What's causing those? Again, Augustine, theologian of the heart, says that such emotions, whenever we get there, whenever we have these emotions, we ought to see them as smoke from the fires rising from the altars of our idolatry. Follow the smoke and you'll see what the idol is, the inordinate desire. 
What one thing do you most hope is in your future? Career, salary, spouse, house, new house, second house, successful kids, being loved and respected. This is the hard part because some of the things aren't bad in themselves, right? It's when we want them too much. That's the, that's the challenge of the Christian life. What is it that without it, life would hardly seem worth living? Now they say that, what's the thing you most, thing, person, place, that you most fear losing? When do you feel the most significance? Or when things aren't going well, where do you turn? To whom do you turn? To what do you turn? See, at the end of the day, we sin because we believe a lie. We believe a lie about what will ultimately satisfy. Early church father Ignatius of Loyola defined sin as an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. We believe the lie that something else will satisfy and we turn to it rather than to God. Again, J.C. Ryle, you might as well try to make an elephant happy by feeding him with a grain of sand a day as try to satisfy that heart of yours with rank, riches, learning, idleness, or pleasure. It just won't work. So put aside the old self and its ways and its desires. Put aside lesser gods for the one true God. Put aside your old self, your previous lifestyle. That's the first point. That's the negative. Put off the old self. Now two positives. Number two, renew your minds. Renew your mind. Look at Ephesians 4.23. And to be renewed... In the spirit of your minds. So put off the old self. Be renewed in your inner person. The growing Christian life is the one where the mind is consistently, repeatedly, and progressively renewed. We no longer walk in the futility of our minds, but now we renew our minds. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewal of the mind. I like the way the NLT paraphrases Romans 12, 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The mind is of utmost importance in the Christian life. How are we transformed? By the renewal of the mind, by God's truth. You want to grow spiritually? You want to make progress? You want to be transformed? Then central to that endeavor must be the renewal of the mind by God's truth. Which is why we do so much of what we do at Southside Baptist Church. This is why we're so word-focused. This is why we'll spend two and a half years in the book of Matthew going verse by verse. This is why we host the Abilene Theology Conference. This is why we catechize. This is why we push catechism at home and family worship at home. This is why we give out books. We want you to grow. We want you to be transformed. And the way to do that is to renew your mind by God's truth. It won't happen any other way. And here's what we have to know when it comes to our thinking. There's no neutrality. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God, counterclaimed by Satan. The world, the devil, they want to shape your mind. They want to shape your thinking. He's the father of lies. His native language is lying. How is he going to lie to you? Well, he's going to get into your head. So we got to be vigilant about what we let in to the mind. And listen, today more than ever, we have today more information coming, us than, coming at us than ever before. 
There are billions of dollars in advertising coming at you on a daily basis with the main goal of keeping and drawing your attention. Some studies say that we see now up to 4,000 advertisements a day. If that's half true, 2,000 in everyone wanting something from you, wanting to form you, wanting to sell you a vision of the good life. And so we need to renew our mind, and we got to realize what we allow in our mind shapes our souls, for good or for ill. What we give our attention to will shape us and shape who we become, for good or for ill. Your grandma was right. Garbage in, garbage out. Somebody just ask some questions here. What are your entertainment choices? What is it that you watch? Speaking of adults, would it be okay for your 10 or 12-year-old to join you and watch whatever it is you watch for entertainment? Here's a good one, especially in today's culture. Do you watch things on a screen that you wouldn't dare watch in person? I think there are things, you know, many of you, probably most, probably every one of you wouldn't dare go into your neighbor's bedroom and observe activity What makes it different when you're behind a screen? I've got a challenge for you. Next show you watch, maybe y'all got a show. This is my show, this is what we watch. It can really be almost anyone. Take out a notebook next time you watch your show and just jot down every word, every reference, every innuendo that you think Jesus Christ would object to if he were sitting right beside you watching the same thing. And ask yourself, Should we be watching this? So, Blake, you sure sound like a fundamentalist Baptist preacher. That's all right. I'm all right with that. I got verses. In fact, look at chapter 5 of Ephesians. Look at verse 3. What's to be the posture of the people of God towards such things? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Here's what we got to know. We're being shaped. It's not neutral. We're being shaped. We're being formed. We're being numbed, maybe, by our mental intake. And so how can we renew our minds? A couple ways. Number one, limit screen input. Number two, expand word input. We've just got to be talking about screens more than ever today because it is the main competitor to your discipleship today. So limit screen time. This, in our day and age, just has to be a constant battle. If we're not in a constant battle, we're probably not being faithful. Studies show that the average American looks at their phone 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day. And your phone is forming you. Imagine if you looked at Scripture just five times a day. Screens are discipling us. The average American adult watches TV or videos about five or six hours a day. Average millennial, which is 82, I don't know when it ends. I'm on the very old end of being a millennial. Look, up, look on their phone, up to four hours a day. Big Barna study recently showed that millennials spend almost 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content. 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content. Do you know how many hours they spend a year consuming Christian content? They say 153. 
Who's going to win that battle of discipleship? 2,800 versus 153. So living in today's world, we got to be aware, awake, alert. We need to curate our inputs, in other words. We want our mind renewed. So we need to have dominion over our phones rather than letting them have dominion over us. So consider just a few options here. I've got no chapter and verse on this one. I'm just throwing out some suggestions for you. If you're like, you know what, I'm good, man. I'm mature, my mind is renewed, then disregard this. But if you're like, you know, I need to grow, then maybe you should try something like some of these digital rules of life. Consider taking social media off your phone. I didn't say get rid of social media altogether. I said consider taking it off your phone. If that sounds crazy, maybe just try it for 30 days. Just take it off your phone. Try this. Turn off all notifications. Phones now have all kinds of really good D&D settings, but try turning them all off, every one of them. Try turning off all notifications. Try for 30 days, see how it goes. You know what that'll do? That'll put you in control of your phone instead of it controlling you. Ding, ding, dropping that dopamine, ding, ding. No, now you're in control and you will check it when you want to check it. Always look at scripture before screens, every day. Scripture before screen. 75% of Americans sleep with their phones. 90% of Americans check their phones immediately upon waking up. And neuroscientists say that the last thing we do and the first thing we do has the greatest neurological impact on the plasticity of our brain. So limit screen time. Put off. And then expand word time. Put on. So when it comes to your downtime, replace screen with scripture. There's an app. I think it's free. It's called Fighter Verses. You can actually put verses. So it's on your home screen. Pick it up and look at the Bible instead of your aunt's cats. <laughs> In an article entitled, You Now Have a Shorter Attention Span Than a Goldfish, <laughs> which, by the way, it's nine seconds. Goldfish have nine-second attention spans. Humans now have eight seconds. Congratulations, America. That's the title of the uh, article. The author says, he actually points to a big survey uh, Microsoft did and said that 77% of young adults... Reach for their phone first when nothing else occupying their attention. They reach for their phone. What if you reach for scripture instead? Meditate, memorize, engage the ordinary means of grace to renew your mind. Read your Bible and pray and come to church. Sounds basic, but I wonder how many of you do commit to that. Do you read your Bible every day? If not, today's a great day to start. Tomorrow's the devil's day. Start today. Get a plan. Start working it. You get behind, skip ahead. Doesn't matter. Engage the word. Again, J.C. Ryle, settle it down in your mind as an established rule that whether you feel it at the moment or not, you are inhaling spiritual health by reading the Bible and insensibly becoming more strong. No one will gain spiritual maturation without regular engagement with the Word of God. It's one of the main means he's given us. So renew your minds. Read good books. Listen to good podcasts. The average American reads between 200 and 400 words a minute, decent range. That means you could read around 200 books in 417 hours. The average American could read 200 books in 417 hours. You know how many hours the average American spends on social media a year? Double that. Almost 705 hours a year. Television, 2,700 hours. So the average American could, could read 350 books a year if they spent time reading rather than scrolling and screens. Renew your minds. 
Renew your mind by prioritizing church. Sunday morning, Sunday nights when we have them, Wednesday nights. Look at Ephesians 4.20. I love the way he describes what happened here. Here at local church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.20, that's not the way you learned Christ. Maybe your translation says learned about Christ. The word about's not in there. It's the way you learned Christ. Well, when did the Ephesians learn Christ? He never came to Ephesus, but they learned Christ. How? Through the preaching and teaching of the word. In fact, flip back over to chapter 2. He mentions the same reality. Look at chapter 2, 17. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Again, Jesus never went to Ephesus. But how does Christ come and preach to his people? Through preachers and teachers preaching the word. Christ himself speaks to you when the word is faithfully preached and taught on Sunday mornings. No small thing, is it? Also why we need to stick to the scripture verse to verse. Let him speak most clearly. Put off the old self, renew your minds, put on the new self. Look at verse 24. Ephesians 4, 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. The word for self here, it's actually the word man. Put off the old man, put on the new man. The old man is Adam, the new man is the last Adam. It's Jesus. Paul actually used this exact same phrase, new man, in chapter 2. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 15. Speaking of the church. Actually, start at verse 14. He himself is our peace who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, here it is, one new man in place of the two. So Jesus is the new man who creates the new man, and then he gives pastors to his new humanity to teach the saints the word and to teach them to do the work of the word that they might grow up to mature manhood. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. Jesus gave pastors, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And how do we get to mature manhood? By hearing the word and speaking the word to one another and putting off the old man and renewing the mind and putting on the new man. And we do it again and again and again. We put on the new self. Created, he says, after the likeness of God. You know the first time we hear that, likeness of God, it's actually the very first page of the Bible. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So Jesus is the new man, the true image of God. And we're to put on him, put on the new man. And then the image of God in us is being renewed. That's what we're talking about here. Becoming more and more truly and fully human. We put on the new man, we put on Jesus, Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We put on the new self, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, just as we born the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We put off Adam, we put on 
Christ, created after the likeness of God. It's new creation. That's what we are. It's what God's doing, building a new humanity for his new creation. We are, Ephesians 2.10, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. A new creation with renewed image bearers. The last Adam remaking us so that we might represent God and rule on his behalf. We put off the old, we renew our minds, we put on the new. Then Paul goes on actually to give us just several examples there in chapter 4. So look at, we're in 24, but look at the very next verse, verse 25. Therefore, because of these things, having put away the old man, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Well, there it is. We put off the old way, falsehood. We put on the new way, and then we renew our mind. He grounds it for we're members of one another. Remind ourselves, how could I lie to a fellow member? Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Put off the old way. But rather, let him labor, put on the new way, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We put off, we renew our minds, we put on. Look at verse 29. Put off the old way, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Put on the new self, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, put off the old self. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Put off the old self, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Put on the new self, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Constantly, every day of our lives, putting off. Renewing our mind, putting on. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions, desires, and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flip over to Colossians. You've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is the next book. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Pick up in verse 5. Same thing. Put to death. Instead of put off, it's put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists several old ways. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. There it is. Desire, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here in the church, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put off, renew the mind, put on. Flip over to Galatians, comes before Ephesians, chapter 6. Verse 7. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, 
that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Church, every day, indeed every moment, you have a choice. Sow to the Spirit, sow to the flesh. Put off the old self, renew the mind, put on the new. And so just ask yourself, are your habits, are your practices sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit? We need to grasp the importance of these everyday choices, the importance of habits. Habits transform over time, and so start good habits again. Today's the day. Dostoevsky said that the second half of a person's life is made up of the habits they acquired during the first half. And it's never too late to start good habits, right? So a thought, reap an action. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. See, our character is nothing more than the composite of our habits. And so, again, how are you doing? Really, none of us should be happy with the state of our sanctification, if we're being honest. And if we are, we probably need sanctification more than we realize. But we should be able to see progress over the long haul. You should be able to look over three years ago. Yeah, I'm growing. I see progress. I'm making progress in this journey. I'm growing more mature. And if you're terribly frustrated with where you are in terms of spiritual maturity, make a change. Do something different. The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. Make a change. Entrepreneurs put it this way. Every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results it's getting. You're terribly dissatisfied with where you are. Your system is producing the exact results that it should. So consider a change. Is your life structured around this? Putting off, renewing the mind, putting on the new self. Do you even think about it? Do you have a rule of life? Are you living your life in an active way or are you just passively receiving? Build a trellis in and around your day so that the vine can grow and flourish. How are your habits? Do you have habits? Do you even think of them? It's not easy to follow Jesus. We've got to make hard and rigorous decisions so that our life and our habits and our schedule will align with our values. And so think about your days and think about your life. Build a life plan. Start and maintain daily rituals. Start your day every day with the word and prayer. Wake up, hear from the God of all creation. What better way to start your day? Every day, open your Bible, read the word, hear from God. Don't start with terrible news or trivial social media or pressing work email. Start with God. And then end your day with God. End your day every day with prayer. If you're married, men, here's your fundamental homework. If you're married, men, close every day in prayer with your wife. Grab her by the hand. Pray and thank God for the day or ask for help if you needed it. Ask for good rest. Ask to be used for his glory the next day. Say amen. Every day, start and end with God. It'll shape the whole day. Neuroscientist Dr. Donald Hebb came up with Hebb's Law. And it says, cells that fire together, wire together. So here we have it in the Bible, but now we're learning more and more, and we have brain science to confirm what God has said all along. What it means for us is that every time we think or do something, it becomes easier to do it the next time and harder not to do it the next time. 
Sow to the flesh, reap corruption. Sow to the spirit, reap life. We become our habits, our daily, seemingly inconsequential choices ultimately and eventually shape our character. It's how we will or will not make progress. It's how we will be formed or deformed. Choices form character. Our moments are our days, and our days are our lives. Most of it's the small stuff. Will we sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit? Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. So church, let's resolve together to put off the old self, to build practices that will renew the mind and to put up walls on things that will distort Christian truth and to put on the new self. Who are we? Our fundamental identity is Christ. Who are you to become? More like Christ. Conform to the image of Jesus. How? By putting off the old self, renewing our mind, putting on the new self. Wash, rinse, repeat. Again and again and again and again for our joy and for his glory. Let's pray.